Welcome to the Pretty Happy Podcast. My name is Sam. And I'm Sarah. And we're the parents of Zoe, a child with Rett syndrome. I love this podcast. I do too. <laughs> I don't, you know, it's not even like, I don't keep track of how many people listen or, or how many, you know. Any analytics. Any analytics. Yeah. I, but I, I love it because of the connections that I'm making. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's definitely the best part. It really is. Like it's, it's been much more productive and fruitful for us to do this than it would be for us to connect with like a, a group. Yeah. Which I mean, we've connected with a bunch of groups on Facebook. It's true. We have. So, and, and we connected with a few people locally and then COVID-19 happened. So we couldn't really connect much more <laughs> with them, Yeah. but this has allowed us to connect with a lot more people. Yeah. So, it really has. It's been fun. Uh, enough reminiscing. We uh, we need to jump into our topic for the day. Yes. Uh, Sam. Yes, Sarah. What is your topic? Um, I can't think of a title. <laughs> <laughs> Topics. Need another T. Uh, Topics time. Topics time. Okay. (laughs) Not actually going with that. I need to preface this with something. Yes. Because when I was talking with Sarah about it, she made a very good point. And that is what I want to talk about. Some parts of it can be incredibly controversial. Yes. I, I don't want to talk about the ethics of what we're talking about or the morality of the subject matter. That's not the purpose of this. It's me sharing some growth that I've seen in myself after having watched a little documentary. And so anyways, this is a personal journey. Don't come away thinking that I'm saying one thing's good or one thing's bad or Whatever it is. Yeah. That's that's not the purpose of this. The purpose of this is to show where I was and where I am. So I uh, I love watching little mini documentaries. Yes. Little 10-minute to 30-minute documentaries. You know, they're I, – I, I can consume them in a short little break, and I enjoy – uh, nonfiction material. I enjoy fiction material, but I do really enjoy nonfiction as well, quite a bit. Yeah. Sarah does not like uh, watching documentaries about the last blockbuster in the world. When you start it at 10.30 at night? No, I do not. It's important. Oh, good heavens. But I came across a uh, mini documentary uh, from Vice News, and it talks about how... Um, Down syndrome has become a new front in the abortion wars. And obviously, my preface now makes sense. <laughs> yes. Um, I, I think pretty much everybody who has had a child born within the past 15 years, 10 years at least, um, they have been asked at some point during the pregnancy if they wanted to test the the fetus for down syndrome which personally i don't think there's an issue with that no i don't think there's a problem with that at all in fact i think it's great because it gives families the opportunity to prepare yeah if we had been given the opportunity to prepare for zoe mentally emotionally and then prepare our home yeah and and not even necessarily prepare the physical part of the home but financially beginning to prepare so that way we could physically care for the home i think that would have been great um but that i mean that's not something that they do obviously right now so i i absolutely do not take issue um, with with these tests, I think they're great. And uh, this little documentary begins with a family who is going in for an ultrasound, and it's not their first one. 
they had one a um, couple months before, and they had opted to do the test to find out if the fetus had Down syndrome, and the fetus did. And this was their first child. And the reporter asked the mother what, how she felt about the whole situation. And she talked about how she went to a dark place, which I related to because when we received our diagnosis, I went to a dark place. Uh, she talked about how it was really hard for her to grapple with the fact that her child was going to, could experience a myriad of issues. Uh, we're beginning to realize that Down syndrome, just like autism, is a spectrum. And the spectrum is vast and wide. Rett syndrome is a spectrum that is vast and wide. And so this, this woman began to realize that her child um, could, could not have any, you know, real serious disabilities um, that could be caused by Down syndrome. Uh, the child could go on to lead a, a, a wonderful, very normal life, you know, could uh, even go on to, to uh, manage a team of people in the workplace, um, get the education that they desired, whatever it is. Or the child could be confined to a bed for their entire life. You don't know. There's no way for you to know. But then she realized that what she was actually looking forward to the most was ha just having a child. That's what she wanted. And they turned to the husband and they asked the husband what he had gone through in his thought process. And he said the same thing, that he'd gone to a dark place. And for about three days, he considered trying to convince his wife that an abortion would be the best option because he didn't feel equipped to be able to handle a somewhat someone with disabilities which I can relate to the latter part of that because I had no connections growing up to anybody with a, a severe disability I knew of individuals who who had autism who had Asperger's who were amputees or they had been born without limbs um but to have multiple disabilities like somebody with Down syndrome or in our family, Rett syndrome, that's something I, I, I had no idea. I had no connections. And so I, under, I understood where this father was coming from. And then he came to the same conclusion after those three days that his wife had come to. And that was that they wanted a family. And this child was going to provide that for him. Anyways, the doc documentary goes on for a bit. It's about a 30-minute documentary, but near the, near the end of it, um, there was a, a segment that, once again, I'm not talking, I'm, I'm not wanting to discuss the morality of the situation or, or the ethics of it. It was simply interesting, the, the cultural side of it. So I'm going to play that for us right now, um, and then I'll make some comments on my thoughts about, um, uh, about what they're talking about. Down syndrome advocacy groups have largely tried to stay out of the debate, but the anti-abortion movement was galvanized after a 2017 CBS report on Iceland. At the time of the report, almost 100% of Icelandic women who got prenatal screening chose to end their pregnancies after they learned their fetus had Down syndrome. This is a country of about 350,000. It has now almost completely eliminated Down syndrome births since the test began in the early 2000s. I saw a promo for a news show and it said, Iceland eradicates Down syndrome. An interesting title for someone who is a parent of someone with Down syndrome. Okay, we're going to pause it there because that's really all I wanted to talk about was um, what has happened in Iceland, which once again, I'm not talking about the ethics or the morality of the situation. It's simply interesting to uh, see um, what individuals are choosing to do when they receive these results. 
And I understand why people would be scared about Down syndrome or Rett syndrome or Angelman's or San Filippo or any number of other disabilities. Because I don't think, I, I think the majority of us go through life and don't ever have a connection with somebody who has those. And when we hear that they have something like that, we immediately think that they're defective. And I, I would hate to say that everybody who, who in Iceland, who got the, 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 the test results back as positive for Downs, were perceiving the fetus as like a, a broken bit of technology. You know, it, it came out defective. I, I don't think everybody was doing that, but I could see how a chunk of those people are. Anyways, what am I getting at with all of this? <laughs> Sarah, you've been quiet. Feel free to jump in at any point <laughs> in time. What I'm getting at is I am grateful for the experience that I have had with Zoe because that have that's made me a more caring and understanding person for all those around me, regardless of ability, disability. Um, and I think it extends further from, from abilities. I think it extends to people who are suffering, period. I don't think it's always to the point where she is suffering. She leads a good life, I think. She's happy to go to school. She enjoys listening to music. We try. <laughs> we try to we go to school. No, we try to, you know, oh. <laughs> whenever we try to give her a happy life is what I was. I thought you were giving away that we keep her out of school a lot. We no, don't. We do not. <laughs> unless somebody is sick because. Because we're smart. We're hypervigilant about yeah. that. But I, 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 I truly think in my own experience, that having somebody in my life, close to me in my life now, it has made me a more caring and understanding and sympathetic individual. It doesn't mean that I necessarily have to agree with everything about the person and choices that they're making, but I try to look past the facade of things to see them as a person. Yeah. And, and that's... And I think that's what's being missed with a lot of people around the world who do receive the the test for Downs comes back positive. They are they are they aren't looking past the disability. Yeah. They they stop there. And they don't see that this is a person. Um and I once again, I don't want to say anybody's in the right or wrong uh, if they if they choose um, to have an abortion. In fact, it, the, near the beginning, after the family, that young family talks about their experience, they they talked with another woman who who whose child uh, or their fetus had had been diagnosed with Downs, and she intended to keep the child until it came about that there there was significant issues with the heart of the fetus. And she had to make a very hard decision. And I would hate to be in her position. Yeah. But I'm grateful for the experience that I've had. I'm grateful for Zoe. If I, I would like to, I would hope that if we had been put in a situation where we had been able to test for RET in advance, that I would have said, okay, that's, that's going to be tough, but but we can do it. But I know now that if we chose to have another child, which this isn't us saying that we're having another no. child. <laughs> no, 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 no. But if, if that test were, were around, or let's say we, we chose for to have the Down syndrome test, I know it would be, okay, cool. Thank, thanks for letting us know. We yeah. can begin preparing. Because we didn't do the test with any of them. No. No, do you know what? I hadn't thought about that. But I distinctly remember us being asked the first. Conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I do remember, now that you mention it, I remember us having 
that conversation. It, it was in the in the room where they were doing Zoe's first. Well, it wasn't the first ultrasound, was it? No, it wasn't the first ultrasound, but it was um, is one of the appointments. Yeah, one of the first appointments. They asked us if we were going to do testing, and we told them no, we yeah. didn't want to. Yeah, because me and you had talked about it, and we had mm. decided that it wouldn't matter one way or another. And if anything, it would probably stress me out more to know the whole time during the whole pregnancy. So I was like, I I didn't want to know beforehand. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Maybe I haven't had any growth and I've always been a good person. <laughs> <laughs> Zoe has definitely made you a better person. Not okay. that you were a bad person before. No. But I think she's made both of us better people. Yeah. Yeah, and I she's going to go on to be able to make a lot of people better yeah. uh, because she's going to force people to see the world differently. Yep. She's going to force – I mean, we had this conversation when we were talking with um, what potentially w- will be her new classroom. Yeah. And we were talking about how um, we, need to, we need to see through her eyes how to communicate which in turn has forced me to figure out how to communicate with other people in different ways. Not perfect. I still struggle with it. And I can think of a couple times over the past week that I've, I have not, uh, you know, gone out of my way to do it, but I definitely know I'm doing a bit better. Welcome back, everybody. We are so excited to have a special guest with us today who is from a really awesome organization, Frankie Says Fight Rat. And it is her mother, Courtney Coleman, who has joined us to talk about uh, Frankie, uh, her journey, as well as this awesome organization on the episode today. Thank you, guys. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Well, let's just jump into talking about Frankie because she's the important one in this, right? She's the one that we want to get to know. So tell us about Frankie, (laughs) who she is, what she likes to do, all of that fun stuff, her personality. All right. Well, Frankie is um, a beautiful, um, smart, sassy, almost 12-year-old girl with Rett syndrome. Um, she loves music, camping, going to the beach. Um, she loves it when her brothers get in trouble. She thinks it's hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) A true oldest sister. (laughs) Oh, true oldest sister. (laughs) Um, what else would you like to know? Uh, like the journey or. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, um, I was reading on your guys's website a little bit about her journey. You received your diagnosis in, uh, 2013. Um, Frankie was born in 2009, um, so a few years before um, uh, you were able to get your diagnosis. Tell us about that journey uh, of getting the diagnosis. All right. Um, So Frankie, totally typical pregnancy. Uh, In fact, she did not want to come out. I was 42 weeks and we finally... Yeah, I was. (laughs) Bless you. (laughs) I know, 108 degrees in Central Oregon, and um, (laughs) ready for this kid to come and just not coming out. So I'm melting for you. It was horrifying. Well, just the whole situation was. I was miserable, and I think Paul was probably miserable too, just because I was miserable. And you know how that how fun that is to be around uncomfortable pregnant women oh yeah <laughs> well no i don't actually know what that's like because i'm i, I was the you uncomfortable, the pregnant, uncomfortable one. pregnant woman yeah. yeah yeah so i finally uh we finally went in and uh they strapped the fun heart monitor around my big belly and um unfortunately frankie's heart rate was not coming up after very minor contractions and so um they basically when a midwife says i think we should do a c-section 
you listen. So uh, we went in and she assisted. It was really great. I had a really good group of doctors there and um, my my husband sitting right next to me holding my hand and uh, Dr. Chun pulled her out and said, wow, we've got a big boy here we didn't know what we were <laughs> and then he turned her around and said just kidding uh, we got a girl <laughs> oh my so gosh. that was pretty it was really fun it was funny because everybody was saying boy but i'd say and i would say probably around six or seven months i just had this gut feeling that we were having a girl you just kind of like start to feel that way and so um totally normal pregnancy, totally normal six to nine months of development. She was crawling, she was cruising, sitting up, doing all the things. And um, about like, I would say in between six, nine months, we noticed her left eye had um, started to kind of go inwards, uh, eustropia, and she was pretty ataxic, shaky. And my mom was a nurse and she said, you know, something's going on, kiddo, you might want to, you know, take her in. And we took her into the pediatrician and every single doctor was like, it's got to be your eyes. It's probably related to her eyes. We'll get her some glasses and we'll do surgery when she's old enough. And um, we moved from Central Oregon to uh, West Seattle because um, 2009, 2010 was pretty big crash in our economy. And um, my husband's a contractor. Uh, The company that he worked for went out of business and I was only working part-time. So we kind of went to a state that was having a little better economy. And uh, got Frankie established at Seattle Children's Hospital and um, had her eye surgery at 14 months old. And then she started to regress even further. She lost her words. Um, she could, she didn't have real fine motor skills, but she had gross motor skills. However, she never trusted herself to do anything more than um, kind of holding on and cruising. And um, I had spoke with a friend who is a neuropsychiatrist and um, and said, you know, I learned about Rett syndrome a long time ago in college. And I really feel like Frankie has Rett syndrome. And he agreed. He said, I think she's got all the classic signs. I'm sorry that, that you can hear that. <laughs> You're fine. You're fine. It, you have a, you have a, my, a, a, a home full of children. What, uh, what else do you expect? I do. I'm sorry. And I think that my husband and the boys are wrestling. So, um, <laughs> Sorry. Uh, so I, um, I lost my train of thought. I apologize. So we then pursued kind of ask a genetics department at Seattle Children's and they kept saying, nope, it's not Rett syndrome. And they tested her for pretty much everything under the sun and banked her blood. And I demanded that we see somebody higher up because I swore that's what it was. So we just treated it like it was Rett syndrome. We got her plugged in with therapies and, um, you know, did all the things as if it was Rett syndrome until we finally were able to see a neurogeneticist who still told me that's not what it is. And I said, well, her blood is banked here at the hospital and you guys can have the test back in 48 hours. So I, I'll, I don't care. We'll pay for it let's run the test. And in 32 hours, Friday, October 11th, 2013, she called me and apologized profusely because Frankie had Rett syndrome and one of the eight most common Rett mutations. So, yeah. So, you know, I just, I think it was more of, it's really hard when you get a global developmental delay diagnosis um, for a lot of reasons, because A, you don't know, you don't have a confirmation, and B, it makes it harder to get things for your child because yes. you don't have a definitive, this is what it is. Well, and there's so many and directions so you can go. It, exactly. And so it was just really important to us that we were heard because we felt unheard for a while. I mean, it's, and it, and it really has to do, I think sometimes where you, where you are, 
Um, you know, had we still lived in Oregon, I think Frankie probably would have been diagnosed before she was a year old because at the pediatrician's office who we, when we moved back, went back to, uh, the doctor there had all the girls with Rett syndrome. She knew about it. She was an older doctor. She was very well versed in it. And in fact, one of our dear friends who lived in, who lives in Redmond, um, their daughter was diagnosed quite early by by that doctor because be, because of the that skill set yeah. where you know up up in Seattle Seattle Children's Hospital is phenomenal in so many realms and now genetics is one of them but at the time I think that that wasn't one of their strongest points and so you know it was just our journey to kind of be a part of helping them become better because the icing on the cake was Frankie got her diagnosis, but because of Frankie, they pulled five other girls' cases and correctly re-diagnosed five girls with Rett syndrome. Holy cow. One was 14 years old. Oh my gosh. So that's like, I, it gives me goose pimples every time I, I say that because it was like, you know what? Yes, it was a struggle and we really wanted to get this, but we didn't treat it any differently because we just had that gut feeling that's what it was. And when we got the phone call, it's sad. Your heart is like, because you really don't want it to be no, that. No, but it. No, but it's like something. you knew, and it's this sigh of like, God, I knew, I we knew it. You just knew, but also, um, it's just not something that you, that you want anybody to go through. But getting that information, I mean, I can't imagine her being fourteen or being amongst. The children before you could figure out what it truly was and it was all based on a clinical diagnosis and there was no real you know i mean kids fell through the, the cracks all the time yeah. and i feel like we're fortunate in the sense that we live in this time of incredible advancement in technology and it, it's a simple blood test for our girls yeah you know it's 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 taken decades of research and decades of, of effort for us to get to this point, and I'm incredibly grateful for all the sacrifices that have been made. I'm grateful yeah. for the patience of the families who who dealt with those situations that you were talking oh, yeah. about, those misdiagnoses, yeah. um, for for being patient and understanding and going through the process to try and figure out what it is. And and there are plenty of people who it just it took them up to a decade at times to get that diagnosis because. Rett syndrome, it, it it wasn't it wasn't common. It wasn't it wasn't out there and readily available like a lot of yeah. a lot of other stuff is. It's so, it's a word that you know I think probably you know even in 2013 I would say Rett syndrome and maybe one out of ten people had a clue what I was talking about. And now I would say nine out of ten do. Like we are getting someplace with with everything yeah. because there's that knowledge, there's that awareness, we're educating people. I think we're also fortunate to have, you know, some people who are in uh, a famous realm. Yeah, they're in positions uh, of influence. They're in positions of influence. Yeah. And yeah. gosh, I wouldn't wish this on anybody. Of course, we would never want anybody to, to have to go through what our daughters go and sons go through, what our children go through. Yeah. But, um, it does help to have people in influential roles. It really does, you know? Well, I, I think it's it's uh, us being grateful for the diversity of the community and Absolutely. what all of yeah. us as family and friends of of these individuals uh, who are afflicted with, with Rett syndrome, what we can bring to the, the table to bring, bring awareness about it. And that's everything from people doing strollathons to doing fundraisers to doing... Um, social media accounts, creating nonprofits like you guys did. It's, there's so much that we can all bring to the table. And that's what I'm, I think I'm most excited about with, um, with Rett syndrome right now is because the science has progressed so far along, we're now able to go back and find people who have received that misdiagnosis. And we're able to um, bring them into our community um, welcome them in and say, we want you here. We want you to be a part of it. And then they're able to com uh, contribute to this community as well. 
And so our, our community is growing more and more. Once Exactly like you said, we don't want this to be wished on upon anyone. But I think also it, it's, I like you said, it's a relief to know the truth. Yeah. Even though we don't want it, uh, in, in our specific situation, um, we had received a, a, a pre-diagnosis, clinical. yeah, a clinical yeah. diagnosis there where they said, we're pretty sure that is what it is, but we're going we're gonna to do the tests, but we just want to be forthright with you. And then we got our actual diagnosis several months later, yeah. and it was a relief. Um, yeah. It was a relief yeah. to just know. Well, and at that point, we had had, we researched it. Yeah. In between getting the clinical and getting oh, yeah. the blood work back. Yeah. And so we were like, at that point, we were like, oh, this is 100%. Yeah. It checks all the boxes. This is what she's got. So if it had come back something different, I would have lost right? it. Right? That would've, I would have lost that it. That would have yeah. crushed us. Yeah, that would have been devastating. It Absolutely. And I mean, it's so interesting because, you know, when they were throwing out all of these other things they wanted to test Frankie for, um, some of them... It, I remember very vividly uh, at the time I was the one working full time and Paul was a stay at home dad and he, he would be really good for you guys to have on at some point because of the dad side of things, but also um, the incredible amount of guilt he felt thinking he was doing something wrong, you know, as to why she, and I would constantly tell him, honey, this, there's something going on with our child. It's not, there's a developmental thing going on with our child. Like it's, you're not doing any, I mean, he built her ballerina bars out of PVC to help her learn to walk and put mirrors all around her room to let, you know, I mean, I couldn't, she would have delayed much faster if it had been me at home by far. He did everything amazingly. I, I it was just it, such a phenomenal father, but he on the way home after them talking about some of these things they wanted to run for her and I and some of them were like she was way too with it and advanced for them to even think of running some of these tests and his heart was just he just started to he had to pull over and yet he broke down and I just felt like God, he's carrying the weight of the world on him and it's not anything it's not, nobody did anything like it's just it's a it's winning the lottery backwards you know it, and we have this amazing human being who has by far tenfold made us better people i still like the people we are now way more than the people we were before having this amazing beautiful person come into our life because we were selfish you don't think about all the things that we think about now. Oh yeah. It's, it sucks that she has to go through all this stuff and that our girls, you know, and there's such varying levels of Rett syndrome. And to be completely honest with you, we had nine and a half years of a cakewalk. We had it easy for nine and a half years. The most intense thing we had to worry about with Frankie was her orthotics. You know, yes, she was non-verbal and yes, she was non-mobile, but she was very good with her Toby eye gaze. She was super engaged. She didn't have seizures. I mean, nine and a half, she ate by mouth, all the things. And then it was just like, okay, she's nine and a half years old. Here's everything. And that's, it was like spinal fusion and G-tube and seizures that are still completely uncontrolled, even with a VNS, three medications, all the things. It's just, you know, like, it's funny how it affects everybody differently. Some people get it right out of the gate. Some people get things here, here, a little bit here, a little bit there. We had almost a decade of like pretty easy going. And then it was like, here you go. <laughs> enjoy this <laughs> you know it's yeah it's Rett syndrome is a it's a gut punch sometimes it really is well and i was gonna say i can i mean with paul and feeling like it was his fault i 100 percent relate oh yeah oh yeah. yeah i i totally felt like i'm not doing something right it's my fault that this is happening like 
because I was her primary caregiver. And so I totally felt like, you know, and then people would make all these suggestions. Well, have you done this? And have you done this? And I'm like, I am trying to do every single thing. And I can't do one more thing. Like, I just can't. Absolutely. But I would try anyway because I was like, well, it's my fault that I'm not doing this thing and this is why this is happening. And, yeah, no, I completely understand that. Yeah. It's rough. It's really rough. It's hard to – well, because, you know, you're the one – you were the one at home doing all the stuff, going through the regression, going through the screaming and the crying and all that. And you're like thinking, what, what am I doing? Like, what am I doing? What, how, why is she so upset? I, when we did, we've done a couple of different things. We've tried a bunch of different things. We've tried both working part-time jobs. We've tried me working full-time and him working nighttime full-time, which was absolutely crazy because that was during frankie's major regression and we were so exhausted and she was having those scream fits and laugh fits at two o'clock in the morning and everybody's exhausted nobody's sleeping and what are we thinking and and we're not spring chickens for parents i mean we had she's our oldest and we had her when he was 35 and i was 32 just shy of 33. so I'm 45 now. Paul's going to be 47. It's hard. <laughs> you know, we're older parents. We, my mom used to joke and say, you know, there are benefits to having children when you're younger. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I do know that. If I didn't have a partner when I was younger, I kind of wanted that. Sometimes like, timing oh. doesn't line up, mother. <laughs> exactly. Gee. <laughs> Yeah. So all of that makes me think about um, our our naivete going in as new parents, because Frankie's your oldest, Zoe is our oldest. Yep. And I remember thinking, in in my teen years, and and throughout my early twenties, that if a child was misbehaving or if a child wasn't doing something that a child of that age would typically be doing or whatever it was, the first thing that popped in my head was, Oh my gosh, what an incompetent parent. And, and, and and I, I don't, I don't think I'm alone in that because, and I know I'm not alone because I had conversations with friends growing up about seeing things and we would make commentaries on it and we thought we were so wise and and so then oh yeah when you have your child and specifically in our situations where we have our this child and we don't understand science as well as others we don't understand medicine as well as others and these things start happening our immediate thought is crap i am I am doing something wrong. I'm that parent that I was. Yeah, the burden I was judging before. Yeah, absolutely. And that and that burden now is on your on our shoulders, and so it's almost like we we built ourselves up. At least I'm I'm, I'm talking about myself. Uh, I built myself up um, to think that I I would be a better parent um, because I was being observant of others while not recognizing that this is a sentient being who has their own wills, wishes, and dreams, and hopes. And even though they may not completely understand it at one, two, three, four, five years old, they have those. And there's only so much that I can do to get them to do something yep. else. And so that was that was to my detriment, having built myself up in that way. Um, and I, I think that, that also made it hard on me. I a hundred percent agree with what both of you were saying about it being harder on the parents staying at home. Cause I remember that for, for you, Sarah, talking about how you felt like, you know, I'm doing this and I'm doing that, but I'm, and I'm, I'm looking at it more or less from a third party and I'm saying it's okay. It's fine. I, we we're just taking our time on it, but you were in the trenches And you had much more invested in it being that at home parent. I'm sure it was much more difficult going through all of that than it was for me because I was, I was able to remove myself from the situation 
because I was working a, a more or less a nine to five job and yeah. I was away and, and, and stepping away from all of it. And you were there all the time yeah. seeing it. It's hard. Yeah. It it's is hard. Really hard. Absolutely. Well, let's talk about your, your nonprofit organization. How did that come about? Um, I think basically when, I think there's a couple of ways that people go when they receive kind of the RET diagnosis or a diagnosis that, you know, that your life isn't going to be what you had hoped or expected for your child or what have you. And so you can, um, you can allow it to consume you or you can jump into action like you guys have done. And like we have done, like for me, that's just, I was like, well, we got to do something. What are we going to do? Like, so my first thought was let's start having some fundraisers and raising money for research or for Katie's clinic for Rett syndrome. Cause we were going to be heading there right after we got Frankie's diagnosis. I immediately was put in touch with Katie's clinic and I was talking with um, Erica Robertson. And then I heard about um, Colleen English and all, you know, we just kind of all kind of got in and I'm originally from the Sacramento area. And so Katie's clinics in Oakland and it just kind of all came together. And so I was like, let's raise some money, you know, cause they're a nonprofit. And then I said, that's, I want to do more because um, that's just me. Like our family has been um, very, very fortunate and on the receiving end of a lot of good. And for me, it's like, how can we give back? Because we've been so blessed, you know, um, so originally it was just going to be, uh, you know, starting a, a web page and allowing people to donate or whatever. But I was like, you know, we got to take this a step further and make it really legitimate because it needs to be a 501c3. People need to know where these funds are going and how they're going to be used. Um, you know, keep, there's a lot of generosity in the world, but it never hurts to have to, for people to be able to have it as a tax write-off or, you know, just getting the information out there. And so it originally started as kind of this idea of we're gonna raise money for research and clinics. And then as I was doing a little more research after we started the nonprofit and got everything kind of up and going, um, I noticed, you know, that we've got redsyndrome.org and we've got GP2C and, and we've got, um, you know, uh, the Retland Foundation doing trials, helping parents get to trials, but we don't have any foundations helping the parents, the caregivers, like what they need. Because sometimes people just need to be able to bring in somebody that they can fully trust to help watch their high needs child, which means maybe you not need to hire a nurse so that you and your husband or you and your partner or you know you and your other children, because we do have a lot of single parents out there, you just need a break. You know, we are fortunate, our families that we have, there's two of us, but there's a lot of singles out there and I, it's hard for me and I have help, you know? And so I think, gosh, how can we, how can we be of service to the caregivers, the people who are taking care of their sons and daughters with Brett syndrome? And so we kind of changed the focus and said, we're going to raise funds so that if people, you know, if people want or need help to go to trials, we'll help them with that. If they need medical devices, we'll help with that. If they just need to get out and go have a pizza with their, their husband, sister, brother, whoever, we'll help them get a sitter, you know, and do this. Or Christmas presents. Like, just kind of people reach out to us or we see a need and we raise money. It's just kind of, we're not, we're not real big. We don't have any overhead for, for the most part. We have very minimal cost because we don't have any paid employees. Essentially everything that we get donated goes back out into the rep community, which I love. Like we have donated to some memorial funds. We've donated on behalf of girls who've passed or boys who's, who've passed. We've donated to some of their favorite organizations on in honor of them. Um, we did just do our most successful fundraiser ever on Facebook for, um, Ireland and Heather Clark, who actually live here in um, Oakland, Oregon, to help raise money so that um, Heather doesn't have to keep lifting Ireland in and out of a vehicle that doesn't work for her. I mean, it was like huge 
And I was, I, I was so excited when I was like, oh my gosh, this is the best fundraiser we've ever had. And we didn't even have to like go get things for an auction or like, I was just, really <laughs> excited, you know, cause I've always said, uh, people love to donate when they also get something. So we've had, you know, prior to COVID, we actually would do like fundraisers. We did RBIs for Rhett because I played softball in college. And so um, we did that and we did a, a winery one where 20% of the proceeds would go to the foundation for donation and stuff like that. But with COVID, everything's had to become real condensed social media stuff. So I was just really excited about the outpouring of support for this mom and daughter. Prior to that, we did one for the Moore family in Redmond because Lily is participating in the trifinitide trials up at Seattle Children's. They have to go up like monthly, sometimes two times a month. I mean, these are huge sacrifices they're making to help my daughter, our daughters, our sons. And if I can just help a little bit, if we, because it's my dad and my, and Paul and I that are basically running FSFR. And um, if we can help even just a little bit, like that is, it's just awesome for us. We just love it. It yeah. makes me really happy. That's it makes what, me happy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The finding, finding a caregiver, a, a sitter or something like that to go out for, for the evening. That is something that we have talked about multiple times. Yeah. And we, we moved to Colorado. Um, it's coming up on two years now and we're still establishing, establishing ourselves in the community. But when we first got out here, I mean, that was sh shortly, very shortly after receiving Zoe's diagnosis. Yeah. Just a couple of weeks. Yeah. And, and we wanted to go out for our anniversary and we had long discussions about, well, what about this person? Or what about that person? Who, who could possibly? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and we, had, uh, we had reached out to uh, members of our congregation and asked them for, you know, uh, ideas of people. And I, I think most churches, it's kind of the same thing. Typically, it's the, it's the, the teenage girls um, who are looking for, you know, babysitting gigs to, to make some money. And we talked about it and we're like, we can't really do that. Yeah. We can't do yeah. that with, with Zoe. Um, we can't have even a, a very mature uh, 16, 17, 18 year old. We need somebody we can trust with the medical stuff. Yeah. If they needed to drive her to the hospital. Yeah. Like they could do that. Like, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and that takes a mature. Yeah. A very mature person to be able to handle that. Yeah. And a skill set. I mean, yeah. 100%. It's, yeah. It's definitely, it's hard. It's not, it's not just having the first aid and CPR certifications. No, no. no. Um, because we all know that you can pass that on online. Pretty <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I, I mean, we've figured out something that works well for us and, and just, just as a way of information, maybe it works out well for some somebody else. We've, what we've done is um, we found these, these, grandmotherly figures in our neighborhood and in our community who have connected with us and we've connected with them and we've invited them over for dinner and we've invited them over to hang out with the kids to make these connections so we can have conversations with them about Zoe because it's hard to invite somebody over and say, here's Zoe in a box. Yep. You can't, you can't do that. You can't yep. explain, well, there could be this, there could be that. And, and she's not going to tell you about this because she can't all of that. But having these sit downs with them, it's been good. It has it's been. been really good. Yeah. But I love that you guys are looking at, at how you can, you can help out caregivers, the, the parents and the siblings, uh, the grandparents, the guardians, because if, if we can care for ourselves as the caregivers, in turn, that means the child, um, the individual with with the disability, is going to receive a greater level of care from us. Yeah, uh, we have we have to take care of ourselves in order to be able to take care of others. It really is about self care, and it, it comes from a place just of knowing uh, what it feels like to not really take care of oneself. Because I've been there, yeah. you know, and yeah. I think we all have most of us have where we forget because we're so busy caring for others. Yeah. Um, 
not, and for many of us, not just our child with Rett syndrome, but other children. And there yeah. are people in our community who have children with Rett syndrome and Down syndrome and autism. I mean, have multiple disabilities and everybody needs a break. Yes. There is a breaking point and you feel it. You feel it. And, and if, if we can just, you know, send somebody out and bring them some, a level of like, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, just feeling like I can breathe. Relief. Relief. Thank you. Yeah. I've got somebody here and making the connections, which you guys have done. Um, but also like having when Zoe gets older, if she needs someone with more medical um, expertise, yeah, being able to have someone come in a nurse come in, you know, and not be like breaking the bank to do it because a place like Frankie says fight red or another nonprofit has been able to help your family out. And that, you know, finances are always a thing for families like ours, because you're always worried about what's the insurance going to cover. And my kid needs this. Is it going to be covered or, you know, I mean, it's wheelchair vehicles, accessible oh, it, vehicles as your kid. Everything gets you add special needs to anything and the price just shoots up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, but it's, and it's not just that though. It's just, there's, there's, there's a lot of extra things that we have to do yeah. to mm-hmm. care for these individuals to make sure that they live, live a, a higher, a high quality of life. Yeah. Um, and that, and that costs money to yeah. do that. Uh, I, I, th- I think we've already shared this on, on the show before, and we've had this as a topic of discuss- discussion before, but I think it deserves repeating for anybody who may be new and not part of the community. There are things that you don't think about until you're in the mix. There are therapies, there are, uh, bits of equipment, mm-hmm. there are tools, there are trainings there. It, it adds up. It adds Absolutely. up so quickly, so quickly. And to be completely honest, in the majority of those situations, insurance is absolutely worthless. <laughs> it does nothing yep. because they, they know, they know yep. it's going to, it's going to break them and they're going to fight it. And that's a discussion topic for another day, but I, I am grateful for organizations like yours who recognize that, that we can come together as a community and we can make these networks, um, create these webs of, of individuals where we can, we can bring in the, the funds yeah. and without the bureaucracy and it's done with love. It's done with yeah. love. I feel like whenever we've had a fight for anything with insurance, if we were, if we get it, it, it's not, it, we're like, okay, good. We have it. But I think anybody who receives money, a grant or something like that from a foundation or a nonprofit mm-hmm. or a gift from a, a friend or a neighbor or, or an anonymous individual, it, there's something, there, there's something indescribable that comes along with it that makes your life more full. You, it's just like a connection that happens. Yeah, and and the gratitude that comes along with it, I I think, I think that is is probably healing. It's very healing for for us when we receive that assistance, as opposed to the insurance finally just giving in, saying, "Fine, we'll we'll give it to you." I yeah. mean, you should have been doing that in the first place. I'm I'm paying out the wazoo for you anyways. <laughs> you should be doing this. But it, it yeah, it's 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 really awesome. It's really incredible. And 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 I'm really grateful that you guys have decided to do that and you're putting in that extra work for it. Thank you. Um it's it's very but it's really awesome. our pleasure. We get, you know, I think I think most people will agree that giving a gift feels far better than receiving a gift. Not to say that receiving a gift isn't a fantastic, amazing mm-hmm. thing, but I get a total high when I give a gift and it changes someone's world. You know, like that. there's nothing better because I've been, our family has been giving gifts that have changed our world and changed my daughter's world. I mean, you know, we have a bucket list for Frankie we talk to Frankie about everything. She knows what's going on with her body. 
and we discussed everything with her. Um, anything that could possibly happen, we discussed the G-tube with her before she had it placed. We talked to her about intubation and what she would be comfortable with. Um, we talked to her about a trachea and she has told us that she would never be okay with that and we will never do that. That's her, you know, we try to honor uh, what her wishes are. The other day, thanks to um, Colleen English posting a picture of her in a Harvard shirt, I got information about um, Harvard's RET. Uh, they have that whole department dedicated to RET research. Yeah. And so I talked to Frankie about that and she she hasn't really been using her Toby much lately, but she literally said on her Toby, yes, do it, love, yes. And that was like, and I got to talk to her pediatrician about it the, the next day. And we like seriously cried about how smart our girls are and how they are world changers. They're changing the world. And it is, it just feels like it's my responsibility to make sure that she has the best life she can have, which is why we have this bucket list of things, uh, you know, that we want to do with her. And we've crossed a bunch of them off. We've, we camp hosted in a school bus in the, yeah, we camp hosted in a, in the Mount Hood National Forest in 2016. From May until September, we were the camp hosts. I carried, I, we didn't have Torsten yet, but I carried Ivor around on my back in the carrier and I pushed Frankie around in her chair, cleaning restrooms and checking people in. And we had a blast because she loves to camp. And when she's out in the wilderness, it's almost like her body relaxes and she she's at peace. And so we were like, we got to do this. We got to make it happen. And Paul sold his beloved van again and bought a school bus and converted it. And we had a blast. <laughs> it was really cool. That's yeah. so cool. I love this. And I just say, I guess I what I guess where I'm getting going with this is that if we can raise funds and maybe help a couple other people cross some things off their bucket list, then we're doing something right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, th Courtney, thank you so much for coming on the episode and sharing a little bit more about your, your wonderful family, about your wonderful organization. Where can people go to find out more information about the, the, the nonprofit? So if you just go into your Google web browser and type in Frankie says fightret.org, it should be the first thing that comes up and it's um, the web page. We also have a Facebook page that you can, um, same thing, Frankie says fight ret. And you can learn about Frankie, you can learn about ret syndrome, um, you can learn about fundraisers, all the things. <laughs> awesome. Well, yeah. everybody be sure to check out Frankie says fightret.org as well as the Facebook page to find out more information about everything that they have going on, what they're doing to help out in our community and see how you can be a part of it as well. A big, 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 thank you. Courtney Coleman for coming on and telling us about her family, telling us about their foundation and the awesome things about it. I really do think it's it, it's a it's a big gap when it comes to assisting families. Yeah. Um, looking at how caregivers, siblings, parents, guardians, grandparents, aunts, uncles, cousins, whoever it may be that is caring for an individual with complex needs. Uh, it's, it's a huge gap. There it's is. a huge gap. Yeah. People, people don't realize it. And I'm super, I'm super proud to, to have met her and uh, to know a little bit more about them. And, and I, I hope that they can, they can continue on for many, many years to come and continue to support yeah. families. It's really great. So definitely go check out their website. Uh, Frankie says fightret.org and then uh, check them out on Facebook as yep. well. And we'll leave links to both of those in our show notes. Sarah, it's time for Can't Leave It. Can't Leave It. What can't you leave? I can't leave Cranberry Limeades. Oh my gosh. From Sonic. Oh my gosh, really? 
Yeah. Really? Really? Man. Man, what? Did I, I steal yours? No. Because okay. I want I want a limeade now. Oh, you're welcome. And it's it's I can't. I can't right now. It is true. I'm I'm just gonna have to settle for the Dr. Pepper cream soda I have in the fridge. Ugh. Um okay, so I don't typically drink soda. It just I I just don't typically. But for whatever reason, the cranberry limeade from Sonic, it just is so good. It's the best. The best. Wow. It's the best. And did you know this is not a promotion for Sonic necessarily? <laughs> I am not sponsored. But did you know you can get half price drinks if you order in the app? You can get what? Half price drinks. What's that? Half price drinks. You should be getting paid for this. I know I should. Seriously. <laughs> anyway, um, half price drink. Hello. So, of course, I get a 44 ounce. <laughs> it's half price, so I can it's afford it. It's half price. <laughs> um, yeah. And that, as of late, has been my, instead of sitting on the couch, eating popcorn at night, when I have a rough day, I say, Sam, I need a cranberry limeade. So he comes home from work. And he brings me a cranberry limeade when I've had job. a rough day. Yeah, I do my job. He does his job. I do my job. Gets me my my juice. <laughs> um, yeah, it's my it's juice? bad. <laughs> it's bad, guys. I so we've had a stressful past month, and um, it's been really stressful, and I'm fairly certain in the past month i have drank more soda drunken no drinking i have had more soda in the past month than i typically do probably in a year yeah that's very accurate right very accurate yeah it's insane insanely delicious it is so good and i don't have to go in i can order on the app and then it's Sonic. So you just pull up to the the stall, the stall put your number uh, in, and then they bring me my drink. Uh, I don't have to get children out of the car. I don't have to, you know? It's beautiful. Why not just go through a drive-thru? Because then I wouldn't get the half-price drink. <laughs> you could. No. You're good. No, because they say pull up to the stall. Yeah. So I wouldn't get my half-price drink. And I think you can order thing. it. And then say you're going to j- go through the drive-thru. There is not that option. You checked? I did. Oh. I wouldn't have even bothered to check <laughs> because I feel like a drive-thru is an inconvenience at Sonic. <laughs> 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 no, peasant. Bring me my food. <laughs> I do not come to you. You come to me. <laughs> yep. So there you go. That is my can't leave it. Sonic, cool. half-price drinks if you order That's in cool. app. That's cool. That's cool. Sam, what's your can't leave it? Well, uh, for the past uh, few episodes, I've been keeping people up. Oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't think I was going to do it. I've been uh, keeping oh. people apprised of the situation in Eurovision. <laughs> Sarah, Sarah is not uh, is not enjoying this. No, but, I okay. am not. Hold on, hold on. The I I think it was the last two episodes. The first time I shared with you guys about Daddy Freya, okay, and then the second time I told you I was freaking out because this Russian group, Little Big, popped up on my on my YouTube feed. And I was like, oh, no, they're competing against him. He has him. been obsessed. Hold on. Let me tell my story. So it popped up. But then I realized that they competed in 2020 and they're not competing this year. But I was on TikTok. I was on TikTok. And ladies and gentlemen, there is now the most glorious crossover that I never knew I needed. Mm. 
It's gonna take more than one margarita. <laughs> I'm gonna call you the sweet senorita. <laughs> oh I'm my god! All you have to do is to be ready for some action now. Don't be a dummy, dummy. I got the yummy. Okay, if you haven't figured it out yet, this is Daddy Freya, the guy from Iceland. And he is singing the song by Little Big, the Russian group that I was freaked out by. Oh my gosh. This is this is the best. This is the best. Sarah, I don't understand why you're why you're so bothered by this. I am bothered by this, not because he has done a cover, but because you play these songs <laughs> right before I go to bed. And then I wake up and do you know what is going through my head? Uno, uno, uno. <laughs> oh my heavens. <laughs> Let me tell you what. All mm. of our children will be able to incorrectly count, count in Spanish. Count to four in Spanish? Yeah. <laughs> that is how often you play this. No, I haven't played it. As of late. As of late, you As of late, I, I haven't. Okay? I've, I've left it alone. But it popped up on my TikTok feed and was like, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh, I, I need this. I need this in my life. I will and then say I, went, I do like the cover better than the original. I prefer the original, but my my heart loves the cover. <laughs> so, anyways, now you guys have been brought up to speed about uh, all the important stuff happening your, in your uh, biweekly dose of, of Eurovision. Eurovision. <laughs> I don't know anything else that's happening in the competition. All I care about <laughs> is is this guy from Iceland. That's it. Nothing else. And for anybody listening in Europe, which I know we do have some folks listening in 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 uh, in Germany and Ireland, uh, we have a decent amount of listenership there. I don't know why, but we're grateful for you guys. If you have a chance, please vote <laughs> for him. I can't. I can't. And if you can cast a vote for 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 Daddy Freyer and the data, which I don't know how to say it in Icelandic. I would, I would, I would love you. I would love you forever. And with that, thank you so much for joining us for this episode. Be sure to subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts so that you're notified when we publish episodes, which is every other Monday morning. And please leave us a rating. Leave us a message or a question on the Anchor app and you can become part of the show. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Pretty Happy Pod where we share episode clips, news and updates, and photos of our adorable daughter. If you would like to be interviewed on our show, reach out to us on any of our social media accounts, or you can send us an email at prettyhappypod at gmail.com. For more information about Rett Syndrome, visit rettsyndrome.org. <laughs>